Today we get to hear from Doug Johnson. Come on up, Doug. Uh, Doug is with Tacoma Youth for Christ, and he grew up in this area, so it's fun when he gets to come back up. And Doug also helps speak at our uh, winter retreat for the youth ministry, so welcome. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, it's fun to be here. So um, in case you don't know me, uh, my name's Doug. I grew up in Stanwood. Um, I grew up with a lot of people in this room, actually. And what <clears throat> one of the reasons Cedar Home is kind of special to me is I gave my life to Christ right before my senior year. And when I gave my life to Christ, I kind of lost a lot of my friends. Um, and God gave me like this whole new group of friends. Um, and a lot of them were people here at Cedar Home. It was like Brent Lewis and Shauna Olson and Brent and Brian Grinnell and Lewis Pounds and Amanda Pierce and you know, the Rusk family. And so it's like those lovebirds, exactly. So here, here's a, a promise. Every time you invite me back, I will bring new pictures from high school. So watch out, Katie. No, so, um, so Cedar Home's kind of a special place for me because, um, uh, yeah, it was like God gave me, when I, when I came to know Christ, I didn't really have a lot of Christian friends, and it was like God gave me this group, and a lot of them were here. And um, so I just have these great memories of fellowshipping with people at Cedar Home. We would do these Saturday night services where Pastor Mitch would let us um, give us the church, and we'd just kind of do worship on our own, and it was just such a cool time. Um, so yeah, so I grew up here. I went to uh, PLU in 97, so that means I'm 40. And um, I've gotten a lot wiser, and as I've gotten wiser, my metabolism has gotten slower, a lot slower. And um, uh, so I've been in Tacoma about 21, 22 years now. And uh, about 12 years ago, a little over 12 years ago, I started working with Youth for Christ. I started volunteering, actually. Um, with the ministry. It kind of started as a youth church for kids coming out of jail. And it was in the hilltop. And then it just kind of evolved into a hilltop ministry. And so I've done that 12 years. And um, about 11 years ago, you guys started inviting us to come and share about that. And a lot of our kids have come and shared testimonies. And you guys have um, started sponsoring our kids to camp. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but you guys have probably sent scholarshiped probably like 120, 130 kids to camp over the last 11 years, which is amazing. So a lot of the stories, a lot of the kids that are our current leaders now that are serving other kids, kids like Vaughn Nelson, who was uh, really good friends with Javi Meyer. Um, and, you know, a lot of our, our adult volunteers, you know, I, I remind them, hey, you, when you came to know Christ at camp, your camp experience was because of this church. And, and so a lot of them are really thankful. So um, there's a lot of history here. So it feels like family now when I come here. Um, so what I wanna talk about today, so anytime I give a message, um, anytime I wanna give a Bible message, I try to give a message that applies to you. So it's not just, I don't wanna give a message that just applies to people that are doing urban youth ministry, even though that's my context. Um, I try to give a message that will apply to people, whether you're in urban ministry 
or you're homeschooling your kids in a rural area. Like, I try to, I, I want to find something that applies to everyone. A lot of these biblical principles, I really think that everything in the Bible applies to everybody. So, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to John 16.5. I kind of picked a challenging, kind of complex passage to share about. Hopefully I won't regret it. <laughs> And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm using the, the NASB version. I, I felt like it was, it's a little more literal. It's not what I normally use. I use NIV normally, but um, it's a little more literal, but I wanted to unpack this. So this message kind of came from me reflecting on my first 10 years in YFC, working with kids in the hilltop. And it's kind of me reflecting on all of the relationships that have kind of gone sideways over the years. You know, we, I think we all know, we live in a dark world. You know, just, just last week at, jeez, um, uh, you, you know what? I'm never like feel emotional when I'm preparing. And then I get up here. You know, the, the daughter, my, my oldest daughter, she goes to Jason Lee Middle School. In the middle school that she goes to, there was a trafficking uh, sting last week. And there was a mom that was trafficking these two 14-year-old girls. And it turned out those girls were in our ministry, you know. And I've known one of them since she was like seven. So we live in a dark world. And I, you know, I don't, I don't need to tell you guys that. You know that. And a lot of times the, we don't see the happy ending that we expect. And sometimes, you know, things, you do everything, you do your best in whether it's parents raising your kids, sometimes it's with friends, maybe it's, you know, kids you're working with in a youth ministry, Sunday school, whatever. You do your best, but sometimes things don't turn out the way you expect. And you keep waiting for that happy ending, and the happy ending doesn't come. Or you don't see it. And so this message kind of came from me reflecting on my first 10 years. There were a lot of amazing things that have happened, but there's also been some things where I'm, I'm still waiting for that happy ending. So, so that's kind of the context of, of kind of why I kind of started uh, this message. Uh, okay, so if you have your verse uh, or your Bible, go ahead and open up to John 16. So the context is Jesus is at the Last Supper. He just had the Last Supper. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying with his disciples. So he's with his most intimate friends in the most intimate time of his life. He knows that he is about to be betrayed by Judas. He knows that he's about to go suffer the most excruciating death on the cross, right? So here he is with his best friends, and he's praying. And, and it's during this time, these, these chapters in Jesus' life, Jesus reveals some of the most intimate things about his relationship with the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Some of the most intimate things we know about the Trinity come in these, these passages. Um, okay, so one more thing. If it's your Bible, if it's, not, if it's the church's Bible, maybe don't do this. But if it's your Bible, I want you to underline something as, as we read this. Every time uh, you see an action of the Holy Spirit, or like maybe one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, I want you to underline this, because we're going to come back to this. Okay, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. 
It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So who is the helper? The Holy Spirit, yes. The Greek word for the helper is parakletos. I don't speak Greek, but I do know how to look up Greek words. It literally means one who comes alongside. It's translated as the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor. Okay, verse, uh, I'm going to keep reading. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Greek word for convict means to reprove, to rebuke, to discipline, to expose, and to show um, to be guilty. So sometimes when we hear the word convict, it means like convicting someone of being guilty. I'm convicted of my sin. But sometimes convict means also to reveal something. Anytime you have like a revelation, a special revelation, that's also convict. So the Holy Spirit's work of convicting, um, actually, no, I'm going to keep going. Forget I said that. So I'm going to keep reading. So verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit, in this, in this verse, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens the, the world's eyes to sin. One of his jobs is convicting of sin. Specifically in this passage, it's the sin of not believing in Jesus. So what do we learn from this? That, that no one can really believe in Jesus, put their hope in Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit first convicts them. Unless the Holy Spirit first shows them their need for Jesus and that opens their eyes that, yeah, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Savior of the Lord. Verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. So the word convict here means revealing. Eyes are opened. No one can have their eyes open that Jesus is the Savior and the Lord of all of the world unless the Holy Spirit does that. So, so far we've seen two functions of the Holy Spirit. He's convicting the world of sin and he's opening the eyes of the world that Jesus is God. And then verse 11, and concerning judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged. So here the Holy Spirit's now proclaiming, it's the Holy Spirit that's exposing that Satan has been defeated, that Jesus has overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. God has overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the Holy Spirit does that too. Okay, verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So again, the Holy Spirit has another function. He's the one that's bringing a revelation of truth. So we can't even understand truths that the Bible teaches unless the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals it. Anyone here ever read a passage in Scripture like 30 times, 50 times, and then one day you read it and all of a sudden it's like you see something, your eyes are open, you have this aha moment that you've never had? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit reveals truth. And I'm going to keep reading. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears. He, the Holy Spirit, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So here, Jesus is saying, 
The Holy Spirit is gonna share the things of God with us. The wisdom, the knowledge, uh, truths that are in the scriptures. But not just that, but the character of God. He's gonna share that with us as well. So the fruits of the Spirit, that, that only comes from having the Holy Spirit in us. That's another function of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, he imparts the things of God in us. So like, I, I can't really have joy on my own. I, I, can, I, can, I can do my best to be patient, but without the Holy Spirit, I'm sunk, right? My character can't cash that check, right? So these are, so these are in, in 11 verses, Jesus just shares all these functions of the Holy Spirit. So here's where I want to go with this. So I, I said that this, this message kind of comes from me trying to make sense of my first 10 years. So my first 10 years with YFC, um, a lot of victory stories, a lot of amazing stories of kids being transformed, but again, a lot of really painful things happened too. A lot of broken relationships. A lot of kids, um, you know, stories like I, I shared about at Jason Lee last week. You know, a lot of those stories as well. And, and sometimes it's hard to just make sense of it. You know, there was, there was this one, uh, I'm going to change his name just to protect the innocent. Uh, DeAndre and Alana, I'll call them that. DeAndre and Alana, DeAndre was like a son to me. I discipled him five years. He lived with us for like two and a half years. And I, I literally invested everything that I had into him. And I, I loved him like he was my very own son. And DeAndre, um, he had this girlfriend named Alana and she came to know Christ too and I loved her too. Um, and I loved DeAndre and I loved Alana, but I hated them together. It was just a toxic, toxic relationship. It's like, you know, bleach is good, ammonia is good, but you put them together and people die, right? You ever, you ever seen those toxic relationships? And the, and the funny thing is they knew it. They knew their relationship was, to was toxic and you could sit down with each of them individually and list all the things that were toxic about their relationship and they knew it, but they just, and they knew that they shouldn't be together and they knew, they would even say, yeah, I know that while I'm in this relationship, I can't grow closer to God. They would say that, yet they would not break up. And so I would take it upon myself to try to break them up. <laughs> and I would do everything in me to, to get them to break up because I knew it wasn't good for them. And I, I literally lost weeks of sleep just I was just up at night. I was so upset about, because I, I saw so much potential and I wanted the best for both of them, um, but there was nothing I could do about it. So I, I literally lost weeks of sleep. Uh, I was angry, I was discouraged. I, you know, you go down the list. Any parents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Any parents in the room? You don't have to raise your hand if your kids are in here. But parents, you know what it's like, right? When there's kids, when your kids are doing things that you know is not best for them. You know that God has more for them. You know um, that there's so much more potential in their life and there's things that they're doing that are holding them back. And a lot of times we do the same thing. We're up at night. We, we maybe get too controlling, try to, try to 
step in where maybe it's not our job. And it just results in failure, it results in anger. And ultimately, it really hurt my relationship with DeAndre, too. And so, um, so this is kind of where this, this came from. So, uh, Tamara, go ahead and show the, the slide. So I'm a simple guy, and I, um, I kind of made a list of what are the things that need to happen in someone's life for them to have breakthrough and be transformed. You know, there's a lot of things that need to happen. And I, shared, I, I spoke on John 16 because just in those 11 verses alone, they show like, you know, almost all of these components were just in those 11 verses. So I, I think of it as like a job description. In order for someone to really be transformed, first of all, they have to be convicted of their sin. If, they, if they're not convicted of their sin, they're never going to change, right? They have to have a revelation that, one, that there's something better for them. They need to have a revelation that God is real and, and that God wants to be in a relationship with them. They, they have to have a revelation that Jesus is Lord. They, um, they have to be told truth. If they don't know what truth is, how are they going to believe truth? They need to believe the truth, right? And not just truth about Jesus as God, but it, biblical truths. You know, someone that's, that's dealing with, any, raise your hand if you know anybody who deals with uh, body image stuff. Am I the only one? Right? I mean, like, women have been attacked. This generation of women are just been attacked so much with body image things and self-hatred about the way they look and, you know, for women dealing with body image, unless they have a revelation in their mind and get transformed that, that they're fearfully and wonderfully made the way they are, they're never going to change, right? So only the Holy Spirit can allow that. Um, they need to be loved. If, if someone's going to really be transformed, they have to be loved. And they need someone to walk with them and to mentor them and disciple them and care for them. So... Um, so I kind of think of it as a job description, right? I made it into a job description as these are the things that have to happen. And then what I did was, in kind of reflecting on what went wrong, some of, the, some of the things that have gone wrong over the years, I kind of broke it up into two job descriptions. One, what's my job and what's the Holy Spirit's job? And this kind of really came from just reading scripture and realizing that's God's job. It's not my job. And one of, the, one of the problems I think that a lot of us have is often we kind of get confused what's the Holy Spirit's job and what's our job. And when we take on the Holy Spirit's job, it leads to sleepless nights. It leads to anger. It leads to anxiety. It leads to discouragement. It leads to failure. It leads to futility. It leads to us turning on God even and saying, God, I thought you were better than this, right? And so it's really important that we really understand what's God's job and what's my job. So being presented with truth, that is something that God has called me to do. He's called us to do that. We know that. Like we're supposed to present people with truth. He wants us to, again, if, if people don't know what truth is, how are they ever going to follow it? How are they ever going to believe it? The cool news is, God also does that. God also 
the, the, longer I, the longer I'm in ministry and the older I get, the more I realize how sovereign God is and how much at work he is behind the scenes, so much more than we ever realize. Um, there's a kid named Vaughn Nelson who came and spoke here a few years ago. Does anyone remember Vaughn? So Vaughn, um, Vaughn and Javi Meyer are really good friends. They interned together. They went to Trinity Lutheran together. Vaughn is just doing so amazing. He's now on staff with Seattle YFC, and he is so committed to Jesus. He is so committed to sexual purity. He is having such an impact with kids at Casino Road and Everett. And a lot of us leaders sit back and we look at Vaughn and we're like, we invested in Vaughn so much less than we invested in so many of our other kids. Vaughn's growth and his passion for Jesus has so little to do with us. God was so sovereign in Vaughn's life and we can't take any credit for it. So yes, I presented, we presented truth with Vaughn, but God was also at work in Vaughn presenting him to truth. Um, there's so, there's thousands of missionary stories. You hear so many stories of missionaries going to unreached people groups and they come to share the gospel for the first time. And the people in these tribes in Africa say, we already knew about it. How did they know? Oh, our, our chief had a dream <laughs> about this man you call Jesus. You know, so even though we're called to bring truth, the cool news is it's not just our job, it's also God's job too. And God is at work doing it, even when we're not. Uh, conviction of sin, not my job. What happens when we try to take on that job? It's my job to convict you of sin. Any parents who try to do that too much? How's that work? It doesn't work very well. And when, you know, again, we can present truth, but when it, time, when it, when it comes to people being convicted of sin, only the Holy Spirit can do it. And when I take that job on as my own, um, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Revelation of God. I can do my best. This isn't saying apologetics are bad. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. There's a there is a place for apologetics. But only the Holy Spirit can bring a revelation of God. And again, it's not my job. Like it's the Holy Spirit's job. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. Believing in truth. I can't force anyone to believe truth. Now I can present it again, that is my job. But believing in the truth, you know, again, it says that that's the Holy Spirit's job. Only this Holy Spirit can bring a revelation. And unless that happens, um, unless the Holy Spirit does it, it's, it's not gonna work. Being loved and walked with. Is that something that I can do? Yes, no? Yes, absolutely. Hey, that's something I can do. Yeah, I am called to love. I am called to walk with people. We are called to discipleship. All of us are. No, no, one, no one is not called to love your neighbor. But the good news is God also does that. So th that's what's great about God, is that even though, even when I mess up, it's like the... Um, the circus, you know, you have that trapeze artist. What happens if they mess up? There's a safety net. So the cool thing is, even when I drop the ball and I am not faithful and I am not, I drop the ball and I stop loving someone, does God ever stop loving? 
No. Does God ever stop pursuing? No. He continues. And so there, we have a few kids that have, you know, we have a guy named Marcus, one of our original Sozo guys that went to, went to camp with us at Warren Beach. And he was in gangs and came to know Christ in jail and he became an adult and he kind of fell away and he got all this baby mama drama that still follows him. And his life was a mess. And then he had this radical conversion about 26 years old. He had this radical conversion and he, he called me up out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in years. And um, actually I did. He, we have kids that are the same age now. And um, they, we saw each other at a soccer game, which is weird. And um, anyways, he called me out of the blue. And he is so committed to Jesus now. And he works at this um, hospice center. And he just feels this calling of, he just said, it's amazing. He feels like God has put him there because he gets to pray over um, older people as they're dying. And as they're in their, on their last days, he gets to be with them and he gets to love them and he gets to pray over them and pray with them and share about Jesus with them. And he feels like God has put him there for a purpose and he's so alive. It's amazing. What's cool about this is um, I wasn't faithful. I hadn't talked to him in years. I didn't keep pursuing him. I wasn't just continually praying for him. I wasn't pounding on his door, sharing Jesus with him, come back to Jesus, inviting him to church. I wasn't doing any of that. None of, us, none of our leaders had, had stayed in contact with him. But you know what? God did. The Holy Spirit continued to love him. The Holy Spirit continued to pursue him. So even when I don't do my part of the job description, <laughs> the Holy Spirit continues. Receiving the attributes of God. So, um, so that was in the last part of, of um, verses 12, 12 through 15. The Holy Spirit does that. Like the fruits of the Spirit. I can't put love, joy, patience, faithfulness, goodness. I can't put those attributes in someone. I can't make my son be patient. There's things I can do to kind of refine him, you know, and develop it, but ultimately, only the Holy Spirit can do that. And when I try to do it, I will make you patient. <laughs> it doesn't go well, but the Holy Spirit does. And so, I want to end with this. Um, I guess I want to encourage you. I think so often we as Christians live lives, we have a lot of those sleepless nights like I had. And we have a lot of anxiety and we have a lot of discouragement. We have a lot of anger, we have a lot of frustration, hopelessness. And so often that is because we're confusing our job description with the Holy Spirit's. And when we do that, um, you know, we're really not, God didn't create us to try to be the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to act like Jesus and carry out, you know, he wanted us to be Jesus' ambassador, God's ambassador, by loving people and presenting truth and caring for people, praying for people. 
but there's jobs that they're not our job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And when we trust the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit, and when we do our job, and we stay in our lane and let the Holy Spirit stay in his lane, that's when transformation happens. And so I just want to encourage you that parents, I know, I know as, as a parent, um, it's really easy um, when you love someone so much and you want something for someone so badly, it's really hard to watch and let things happen that aren't going the way you want. But I just want to um, encourage you that the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Holy Spirit, God never stops loving. He never stops pursuing. He never stops um, calling people back to him. And, and we can trust him. He's in control. And we're not. And it's really hard sometimes to not be in control, but it's pretty awesome to be not be in control when we know that God, the creator of the universe, is in control. And for some of those, I'm still waiting on some of those happy endings. And I may or may not see those happy endings. But I do know this, that God is in control, and he's not done. And the story's not over. And, and it's the same for, for all of us. God's not done, the story's not over. And we can take hope in that. All right, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for us, we're gonna do communion. And I guess I wanna do this, as we pray, if there are any areas in your life where you feel like maybe you are trying to do what, do the Holy Spirit's job, if there's areas where you feel like, yeah, I've taken that on and it's not my job, there's burdens that you're carrying that you're not supposed to carry, any anger or frustration or hopelessness that's kind of come through that, now is the time. I want you to go ahead and just give those to God and reflect on that. And then we're going to come up and uh, Chris is going to come up and we're going to just take communion together. So God, I pray for every person here. God, I pray for every burden that people are carrying that, are not, that you're, they're not supposed to carry. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give people the ability to lay that down at the foot of the cross. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to carry these things. God, I thank you that when we drop the ball, that you don't. God, we praise you that you are so good and you are so powerful and you are always at work. God, we love you. Amen.